Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Duke Backus. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. Week we've been looking at this uh, series that I've entitled "The Parables," and we've been going over several of these parables. and And I believe there's so much kingdom truth uh, in the Word. Amen. No matter where you turn, Old Testament, New Testament, um, it, it's always about Jesus, amen? And it's always pointing us to, to what the Father's heart is. It's always pointing us to who the Lord is and how the Lord moves and, and the things that the Lord wants us to take in and receive to ourselves, amen? How many of you know that we are supposed to always have our hearts open to receive from the Lord, amen? Our heart is a place, it's like soil, and, 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 it's, and it has the ability to receive or reject, right? Our heart is like soil. It has the ability to take in what has been offered to, it, uh, to us or to reject what has been offered towards us, amen? And I believe that as, as the people of God, as, as believers in Christ, it, it's, it should be our heart's desire to always say, Lord, speak to me, amen? It should be our heart's desire to always say, Lord, I'm going to receive that which you have for me. And a lot of times we can find ourselves, you know, in a place when the word isn't comfortable, we can maybe find ourselves being a little bit of the, on that rejecting side instead of on the receiving side. Amen. When the word sometimes contradicts, you know, what our flesh wants and what our 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 life wants, you know, we we find ourselves in that place where we we want to reject. But how many of you know the scripture teaches us very clearly that we are to say no to the flesh. Amen. So when the word is delivered and when the word is deposited into our lives, we are supposed to have open hearts to receive what the Lord is trying to show us. Amen. And so last week we were talking about this um, uh, passage of scripture found in Matthew chapter 13. And we've been talking about, I'll go back just quickly. We've been talking about, Matthew 13 is about the wheat and the tares, right? And, 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 if, you, and if you have your Bibles and open them up there, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13. And, and we see that in this story there's, there's a few things that are happening and there's, there's a couple things that are, that are going on. And so I want to just go back and read the, the, the few verses to you. So let's start at verse 24. Matthew 13 and verse 24. Jesus told him another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds amongst the wheat. And then he went away. Verse 26, when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. And the owner's servants came and said to him, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. And it goes on to say, uh, uh, it says, do you want us to go out and pull them up, right? The servants asked him. No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. So let both grow together until harvest, and at that time I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. So let's have a quick word of prayer tonight. Lord, we thank you for your holy word, and we just thank you for your Holy Spirit tonight. And we pray, Lord, as always, Jesus, that you would speak to each and every one of us tonight. Lord, we yield ourselves to you, Lord. and. And Lord, we just trust that, uh, that we would be recipients of your word, Lord, and that we would receive it into the soil of our hearts tonight in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 
men. And so we see in this passage of scripture that it's important for us to know that, that every single day the Lord is wanting each and every one of us to sow the kingdom of God wherever we go. Amen? Jesus is of unlimited supply. That means that as you serve Jesus and as you love Jesus and as you know Jesus, Jesus isn't going to run out if you share him with another person. Amen. Jesus isn't all of a sudden going to like fade away and it's like, oh man, you've reached your limit. Imagine if it was one of those things where, you know, you were sharing the gospel and then the Holy Spirit stopped you and said, oh, that's it. Heaven's full. We can't receive anymore, right? Then it would be pointless for us to carry the kingdom in our life and it would be pointless for us to share the kingdom wherever we go. Because if it was a, if it was a kingdom of limits and it was a kingdom that only was going to allow a certain amount of people to enter, then guess what? You and I would, would have no hope for our friends, our family, our loved ones and people in this world that need Jesus. But the opposite is true. The opposite is that I believe that heaven is vast enough for everybody that would say yes to his name. Heaven is vast enough for anyone that would repent of their sins and receive Jesus Christ as their Lord. Jesus spoke in John chapter 14. He teaches us in his word. He says, take heart, right? And he says, be of good cheer. And he talks about this. He said, if I go away, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. If he goes away, he's going away to prepare a place for us. It almost leads us to believe the thought that he has prepared a place for everyone, but is everybody going to get there? Because it's the Father's heart to receive all souls to himself. Did you know that? It's the Father's heart. The Father's heart is not, you know, exempting anybody. He's not saying, oh, well, only this particular people will I receive to my kingdom. No, he says, everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus shall be saved. It is the Father's desire and it's the Father's will that everyone would know him. They would receive him as Lord. And I believe the kingdom of heaven is a limitless, you know, area. It's vast enough to receive everybody if they would call upon the name of Jesus. And so the duty, the business, the work of, of the Father, the work of the kingdom is that you and I would sow seed wherever we go. That we would sow the seed of the kingdom. What does this look like? This looks like loving people the way that Jesus loves you. Amen? How many of you are grateful for the love of God? You're grateful for Jesus' love. Amen? That, that should put a smile on your face because the love of God is the best thing that you will ever inherit in this world. The love of God is the most powerful thing that you will ever inherit in this world. But guess what? We would be a selfish people if we did not share that love with somebody else. If we have and we know that we behold the greatest thing that the Lord had to offer us, which was his perfect, unconditional love, then why would we hold it back from somebody else? You see, if we are to sow the kingdom wherever we go, if we are to tell people about Jesus wherever we go, then guess what? That should be the message that's on our lips. But guess what? Sometimes our lips find other topics to talk about. Sometimes our days are occupied with other things that we choose to do instead of fulfilling the will of God for our life. And the Lord is looking for people that would be obedient to his word. 
Jesus said in John 14 and verse 15, if you love me, you will what? You'll obey what I command. It's easy to say that we love God. But how many of you know that, that, that saying that says that, you know, talk is cheap. Yeah. Talk is cheap. Actions speak louder than words. And I say this, church, with urgency in my heart. There's going to be a time that comes when you will no longer be able to work. You'll no longer be able to show Jesus how much he means to you. There will come a day and there will come a time because the Bible says that all men are appointed to die. There will come a day and a time that you say, you know what, that brother of mine that's lost, that sister of mine that's lost, that family and member of mine that is lost, you know what, I'll call them tomorrow and guess what, tomorrow may not come. Think with that urgency. Think with that urgency in your heart. You have a son or a daughter that could be lost. And guess what? You, you, you're holding back, you know, because you don't want to offend them. You don't want to hurt them. You don't want to step on their toes. Listen, the love of Jesus is okay. And the love of Jesus, if it offends somebody, then so be it. But guess what? It needs to be offered. The seed must be sown into the lives of this whole world. And so the righteous must sow into the world. This is what the Lord is looking for from the people of God, that we would be people that came to sow into this world. Because if you truly know Jesus and you have now begun to serve him as your Lord and Savior, then guess what? The Bible says that we would begin to produce a fruit of, of, from our life, from the roots that we are connected to, which is Christ. And that fruit is going to bear good fruit of the kingdom. It's going to do what Jesus did. Amen. How many of you know that Jesus was, didn't just do things that were impossible for the church to do? Did you know that? Jesus didn't just operate in a way where it's all of a sudden it's like, you know what? You don't have the authority. You don't have the capacity. You don't have anything to do and you cannot fulfill what he has said. No, that's absolutely false. Matthew chapter 10 teaches us, Jesus said, go out and heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers. See, Jesus, I can't cleanse anybody. I'm unholy myself. Lord, I can't, you know, rebuke a demon off of somebody's life if, if I myself need deliverance. What was Jesus trying to prove to us? He was trying to prove to us that the authority of the kingdom of heaven is greater than anything in this world. And if he is living inside of your heart and inside of your life, then guess what? You carry the same spiritual authority that raised him from the dead. That's powerful. Amen? I said that's powerful to know that, you know what, Jesus? If I pray and I have the spiritual authority that you've given me, then guess what? When I do lay my hands on the sick, they will recover. I've seen time and time again to my own amazement. How many of you have ever prayed for somebody and seen them be healed? Anybody? Raise your hand. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. It wasn't you. Amen. Let's give God the glory. Amen. It wasn't us. But the beautiful thing about those commandments is sometimes we fear just getting to that place where we step off the edge to do what God's asking us to do. But the Lord will always be faithful and he'll meet you there. He'll meet you in that place, church, where all of a sudden your faith overrides your fear 
And you're no longer worried about the results because you're trusting in the one who's given you the power in the first place. If I'm focused on the results, which is God's business, and I'm disobedient to the business that he's given me to do, which is just lay hands on the sick, then guess what? I'll never step out in faith. And too many times we get stuck on that thing where we say, well, you know, lay hands on the sick and, and, and you, they'll be recovered. And we're afraid because we think the results are going to come from us. But the results truly come from God. Amen. Amen. But if you go out with a pompous attitude and a pompous idea that you're a healer and that all of a sudden God's, you know, you, you are the person that's bringing the healing. Guess what? God's not going to heal anybody through your life. I've seen it happen. But the Lord's amazed me at times. I remember one of the first times that I ever laid hands on somebody. They were instantly healed. Blew my mind. I was like, God. And the Lord is so beautiful and loving that way that he shows us and he's leading us into faith. He's leading us into that place where we actually step out and we begin to do the work of the kingdom. We sang right now, all hail King Jesus. Such a beautiful song. I love that song. It ministers to my heart and I know it ministers to the heart of God. But if I'm truly calling him King Jesus, then that means that I need to be living for his kingdom. This is what the Lord is looking for. He's looking for a people that will sow righteousness into this world. That will not be afraid of the backlash. That will not be afraid of the persecution. That won't be afraid of the people that will slander you and, and say things. That won't be afraid of the, the, the stuff that may come your way because you are leading people to Jesus. Listen, just trust Jesus. Amen? If you truly believe that he's going to save your soul and he's going to rapture your soul from this earth into heaven, then guess what? Surely he can save you from somebody that, that wants to reject him. Just trust him and do the work. The second thing that we learn is that the enemy is trying to destroy the harvest. Matthew 13 and 25, while everyone was sleeping, what does it say? While everyone was sleeping, the enemy came and sowed his seeds amongst the wheat. Oftentimes when you are preoccupied, where your mind is somewhere else, where you are not spiritually alert, this is when the enemy comes to attack your life. The scripture teaches us, church, that we must be vigilant and that we must be alert. Amen? We must be people that are, that are on our toes, per se, that are ready at all times. Last night, I had the wonderful privilege and honor of coaching my daughter's soccer practice, and I'm going to be coaching their team. Amen? So keep the eagles in your prayers. And I got to go out there, and it, and it took me back from when I was a little kid. So I started playing soccer when I was five years old. So if you could picture five-year-old Duke like this big, you know, I was running around on a soccer field, and I did this until I was like 15 years old. My favorite sport, and I used to love to play soccer. But I got to go out there, and I was teaching the kids, you know, how to be ready and how to receive the ball and how to pass the ball and all this stuff. And I got to work with this one young man because he was the goalie. And the goalie has, you know, pretty much one of the most important jobs on the soccer team. Because guess what? That guy's the last line of defense. If the ball gets past him, the other team scores. And so I was talking to this young man, and I said, listen, man, you got to be ready. First, he was just standing there like this. Now, for those of you that ever played soccer, this probably isn't very ready. 
But if you've ever played any sport, you know, I played baseball, I played, you know, tennis, all kinds of stuff. Readiness actually looks something more like this. And there's a posture that you actually have to have in readiness. You have to actually be on your toes. When I used to play tennis, and for those of you that have ever seen me play tennis, I played tennis fairly well for many years of my life. But as a tennis player, if you've ever seen a tennis player, this is what they do. They're like this. They're constantly on their toes. Why? Because at any second, they need to move and shift directions. And I believe there's spiritual truth that we could apply in that sense and understand that there's a readiness that your heart needs to have. And there's a readiness that you need to live with every single day. Because when the enemy is coming to sow seed into the life of your field and in your heart, you are ready. And what does readiness look like in the kingdom? Readiness looks like being in prayer when you're tired. Amen? Readiness looks like showing up on a Wednesday night when you've had a long day of work and you could have stayed home and put your feet up on the ottoman and relaxed. But you came to the house of God because you're going to get spiritually fed and you're going to get prepared in your heart and in your soul. Amen. That's readiness. Readiness is, is knowing the word of God and being ready to give an answer for anyone who asks you for the hope that you have. And knowing the word so well that you, you, you don't have to like say, oh man, let me look up that verse. Let me think about it. But it flows from your heart because it's what you have put in there day after day. It's what you've meditated on day and night. That's what readiness looks like. You don't have to say, oh man, let me dust off my Bible so I can find that verse for you. But there's a readiness, there's an alertness, there's something that you are in constant preparation. And I have to kind of get there tonight because I, I want to talk about this and, and, and kind of stay here just for a moment. Satan looks for every opportunity, church, to destroy you. Did you know that? He really does. And I think sometimes, you know, we'll get so, you know, caught up in the things that we are doing in our life and things that we're doing in our family and things that we, we, we ourselves are about. But it's in those moments, church, it's in those moments when you get, when you get lazy, when you, when you forget to lock the door at night that the thief comes in. You say, oh, well, we live in a safe neighborhood. You know, I don't have to lock the door at night. And that's when the enemy strikes. There's a readiness that our heart has to have and an alertness that our heart needs to have. And so I want us to read this verse again. We, we touched on it just a little bit last week, but let's start again here. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, Be self-controlled and alert. I'll say it one more time. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil. Now notice the language is very clear. Your enemy, the devil. Not your enemy, your brother and sister in Christ. Not the enemy, you know, the, the manager at your work. <laughs> the enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And I want to touch on something tonight because I believe one of the enemy's biggest traps is unforgiveness. I would venture to say that many of us right now can think of somebody that we possibly need to forgive. Mm -hmm. Why? Because the enemy loves to sever you and I from 
the plan of God and the will of God, which is to forgive. How many of you remember the scripture in Matthew chapter 6? The Lord's Prayer, right? Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's forgive our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And oftentimes we don't take enough, you know, you know, recognition or recollection to the very basic things that the Lord has shown us, church. Because we can get so caught up in wanting to be fed, you know, all these great spiritual revelations and truths from the word of God. But we can neglect the very basic things that the Lord has established for us to operate in day in and day out. Amen. We can say, oh, man, I want more of this. I want more of you, God. I want, I want the Holy Spirit fire. I want all these things. And guess what? We could be neglecting the very thing that Jesus died for, for my life and for your life, which is the forgiveness of our sins. And so the enemy will use unforgiveness. It's not being reconciled to one another that pains the heart of God. Did you know that? When we are not reconciled to one another, this pains the heart of God who's mercifully forgiven us a sinful people. Think about that. When we do not offer forgiveness to one another in the body of Christ or in our family, think of how much it pains the heart of God knowing that he forgave you of your sins. Knowing full well, church, that the very things that we have done to pain his heart, that the scripture says that once held us as enemies of the cross of Christ. Those very things we refuse to forgive in another. But yet God has forgiven it in us. You see the way the enemy works? He loves to sow that seed of unforgiveness in your heart and in your life. And the devouring that Satan comes to do is most often from within the church. That is, he targets our lack of self-control and he targets our weakness and weariness through people in the church. What does this look like? A brother or sister in Christ, you know, says something to you in the wrong tone and all of a sudden, you know, you get offended about it. I know I'm striking a nerve because you guys got real quiet. Or a person in the church doesn't acknowledge you for all the work that you've done or something that you've done for Jesus. And and all of a sudden you get angry or you get bitter or you get jealous. All of these things, church, they open the door and the destructive door of unforgiveness. And here's what the enemy likes. The enemy loves to get that little crack in the door. Because here's what happens. Unforgiveness and that word offense could also be used like offense, a barrier. And what the enemy loves to do is he loves to just allow that crack in the door to remain so that more and more he can push it open and he can force his way into the entry of your heart and into the entry of your life. Because guess what? He's exposed something that you are unwilling to deal with. And because you're unwilling to deal with it, it opens that door. And guess what? It spreads wide open and it stays wide open and it gets further open the longer that we do not deal with it. I know what I'm telling you. Unforgiveness is is like a cancer that spreads. That's an ugly word. But so is unforgiveness. It's like a cancer that spreads amongst the the individual's heart because guess what? They begin to think things about somebody that that is not even true. 
They begin to fabricate, fabricate things in their heart and in their mind about somebody that is completely false. But guess what? The enemy has found a wedge. They found a crack in your armor, a way to get into your heart and penetrate your life. I know what I'm telling you, church. He wants to open the destructive door of unforgiveness. In other words, while the church had been sleeping on the commandments of the word of God and not doing what it's been said, the enemy will sow into your life. Paul writes to the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 5. He says this, if anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. He says, but the punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Verse 7, he says, now instead you ought to forgive and comfort that individual so that they will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So Paul is describing an individual that maybe was you know, did something wrong in the church, and, and, and guess what? People were hard on that individual, and they were, you know, kind of chastising that individual. And he says, the punishment inflicted on him by the majority was sufficient enough, but now instead you ought to forgive and comfort so they will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Sometimes the church is, is guilty of, of going so far in shaming an individual's sin that they cause the individual to backslide. And can I be real with you just for a second? We are in a hospital and we are all sick. We are all in need of the remedy of Christ. Amen. We are all in need of, of the remedy and the purification and the washing of the blood of Jesus over our life. Amen. Somebody say amen tonight. We're all in that same position, church. And so if any one of us was to falter or fail, if any one of us was to slip and fall, listen, it's okay to acknowledge that we have failed, that we've maybe broken the heart of God, that we've done something against the word of God, but it's important and it's more important for us to understand that we need to forgive that individual. It's more important that we understand that we need to comfort them back into the kingdom because here's the deal. One of the worst pains that a Christian can experience is when someone refuses to forgive them. Have you ever had somebody not forgive you? <laughs> I've been a pastor for almost 20 years, and, and I've had some people just refuse to forgive. You go out of your way, you love on them, you, you ask for forgiveness, you, you, you pray you know, that, that God would reconcile their heart, and they refuse to forgive. And it's a challenging place to be in because guess what? You cannot change the heart of another No matter how much you love them, no matter how, you know, far out of your way you go to show them the love of Jesus, you can't change their heart. They must do that on their own. And it's a horrible feeling to not be forgiven by somebody because by that refusal, excessive sorrow will ultimately lead to backsliding, attacks of the enemy in our mind and our flesh, depression, and even more. Let's keep reading in 2 Corinthians uh, verse 8. He goes on to say, so I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for this individual. That's the person that is in need of forgiveness. He said, another reason I wrote to you was to see that if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. And anyone you forgive, I also forgive. He said, and what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive. He said, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. 
in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. See, Paul gives us this nugget of wisdom at the very end of this thing, and he's talking about now bringing to light the one that is in charge of this master plan to stir the church, Satan. He exposes Satan for who he is, and he shows him the true colors of what Satan is actually doing when he's trying to sow unforgiveness into your heart. What is he ultimately trying to do? Satan in this, in this particular case is being shown of who he is in his nature and what it is that he is about. And so the Corinthian church, the forgiveness of that individual, it would actually restore unity in the church. You see, when we forgive one another, we are now unified as the body of Christ. And if anybody remembers Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17, if you haven't read it, I encourage you to just highlight John chapter 17. But I believe it's John 17 and 23. Jerry, let me get John 17 and 23 on the screen. Maybe 24 also. I in them and you in me, that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity. This was the prayer of Christ for you and I. And unforgiveness disunifies the church. It pulls us apart and we lose our effectiveness as the body of Christ. Because how many of you know that a member of the body cannot uh, operate on its own? If you chop off my hand, it's not going to be very useful to my body. Amen? So forgiveness brings that hand back in and it brings that attachment back to the body so that the body can be effective in the work of God. Amen? So here's the deal is Satan would love to take advantage of division and our unwillingness to forgive. Christ was famous in saying this. He spoke to Peter and he said, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. This was right before Jesus was, was about to be crucified and give his, his life for the sins of the world. And, and he has a conversation with Peter and he says, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. And this was at that point in time when, G, when Peter was about to deny Jesus three times. And he says, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I pray that your faith may not fail you, Peter. And so this is what was meant through the sifting, that the wheat would be separated from the chaff. In other words, we're going to see what you're made out of. We're going to see how much is wheat, which is godly fruit in this case. And we're going to see how much is chaff, which is just waste. When Satan comes to tempt your life, church, there should be things that are revealed to you that would give you wisdom for your own future. Some of you are, maybe that went over your head. Hopefully it didn't. Let me explain it this way. Your testing reveals your character. Your testing will always reveal your character. In fact, it's like this. It will always reveal the cracks that you may have in your foundation. When you go through a hard time, when the enemy tempts you, when the enemy tests you, when God tests you, it doesn't matter. It's going to reveal who you truly are. 
Remember the story of Job in, in Job chapter 1? Everything that happened to Job's life and Job's family, his cattle are destroyed, his, his workers are destroyed, his servants, his business, you know, his family, he lost sons and daughters. Everything in Job's life was destroyed. But it all started with a conversation between Satan and God. And Satan said, let me have him. Let me test your servant. Let me see if he will curse you. God says, go ahead. He gives Satan permission to throw everything at Job. And at the end, the Bible says that, that, that Job, he sat in a pile of ashes. He tore his, his robe and he sat in that pile of ashes. And, and he was tempted in that moment to curse God. Because his wife told him to curse God and die. But Job said, the Lord gives and the Lord is taken away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. He passed the test. He passed the test of the thing that the enemy was trying to reveal that he would not do for God. And here's the deal. When the enemy is coming into your life, church, to test you in different ways, to try you in different ways, he's coming to reveal something in your life. And guess what? Whether you fail or whether you pass the test, here's something that we must always be aware of. It will reveal to us where our true spiritual fruit is. It will reveal if it's rotten it'll, or it will reveal if it's real. It'll reveal if it's healthy. It'll reveal if it's got an infection. But it's going to show you who you are in Jesus. It's going to prove to you who you are in Christ. And so when this point in time happened for Peter, Jesus said, Satan is asked to sift you like wheat. This was a, 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 a process where Peter was about to be stretched. He was about to be revealed. Something was about to be revealed in his life. And the question of the hour is, are you more wheat or are you more chaff? What are you made out of? What are you made out of? Where is your heart with God? Where are you? In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 12, this is John the Baptist speaking. He says, his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear the threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the shaft with the unquenchable fire. See, the wheat in this passage of scripture represents those who are truly repentant. Amen? Representing those who are truly repentant, those who, are, who, who are, are holy and desiring and seeking after God and his righteousness. Amen. But the chaff is like those who would be like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Those who would be content trying to do this thing on their own and not receive the forgiveness that God offers. And something that's important for you and I as believers is to not get caught sleeping. He said, be alert. Be alert and do not get caught sleeping. This means we do not become slack in the ways of God. I would ask you a series of questions and ask for your honesty, but I'm not going to embarrass anyone tonight. But just think about these things. Did you pray today? Did you spend more than five minutes in prayer today? Did you spend more than ten minutes reading the word of God today? Did you witness to somebody today? 
Did you fellowship with another believer today? Did you encourage somebody today? Have you done the work of God? Have you loved somebody like Jesus loves you today? Have you forgiven someone that needed to be forgiven today? See, this is following Jesus 101. Amen? This is the basics of following Jesus. This is the very crux of what should be happening in and through your life every single day. But here's the deal. You cannot fake the fruit. One day your fruit will be tested and your fruit will be revealed. And God's going to show it for what it actually is and for who you really are. Because here's the deal. All men appear the same in a religious setting. All women appear the same in a religious setting. You come to church tonight and everybody, you know, the worship leader tells you to lift your hands. And everybody goes like this. Worship leader tells you to sing and everybody sings. Whether it sounds good or not, you, you sing anyways. Dress the part, look the part, act the part. But here's the deal. It's during the fruit-bearing stage that the difference appeared. For the wheat and the tares, it was at that very last moment that something would be different. See, while they grew up together, they weren't able to be distinguished apart. While they grew up together, there was nothing that was separating them. They looked exactly the same. But as they grew and as they got to that harvest time and that harvest point, all of a sudden there was a distinction in which was the weed and which was the wheat. And unregenerate men, they can imitate true believers for only so long, but eventually their true nature will begin to show. Because here's the deal. The issue isn't the fruit. It's always the root. You will produce what you are grounded in. If you are grounded in Jesus, my friend, then the godly fruit will be produced out of your life. But if you are grounded in religion, then religious, I don't even think religious fruit is, is a thing. But you'll look religious. And you may look like you know Jesus. And you may be around the temple like the Pharisees were. But at the end of the day, those who say, Lord, 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 they won't enter all into the kingdom of heaven. Because if you're truly a believer and a follower of Christ, you'll produce the same fruit that Christ did. Amen? Matthew chapter 3, verse 8 says, so produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Amen? Matthew 7 and 17 says, so likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. Amen? But a bad tree bears bad fruit. That is, a person's nature will always be revealed and it will always come out. A tear will eventually show itself for what it is. Wicked men and wicked women and wicked people can all profess to be righteous. They can profess to be godly. But guess what? Here's the deal. A life of selfishness and unrighteousness will eventually take hold on their heart and in their life. And their profession may continue, but so will the life of wickedness. Unless they are rooted in Jesus, they will only produce that which they are connected to. And I say this as a word of warning. Be careful not to attach yourself to a tear. Because as you are growing up in the church and as you are growing up spiritually and as you are getting to know Jesus more and more and as you are planting yourself in the word of God, be careful not to mix yourself with a tear. That is with an individual that does everything but what the word says. <laughs> Amen? 
The Bible says, what fellowship does light have with darkness? What fellowship do believers have with unbelievers? What's the scripture talking about? Fellowship is, is the word communion. Communion means common union. What are you finding in common with an individual that doesn't know Jesus? What are you finding in common? What are you finding in common in, in the way that you are communing with that individual? Because communion is actually supposed to be the very place and the very way that we meet with God. But yet we forsake God and we give it to others. And so in that moment where you are supposed to be communing with God, you're choosing to commune with a tear. You're choosing to commune with somebody that is godless and doesn't, you know, have righteousness in Christ on their mind. And I love the way 1 Corinthians sums it up. But it says, bad company corrupts good character. Likewise, a tear will rub off the wheat in your life. Let me tell you what a tear will do if you're attached to it. It'll stunt the growth of the wheat. It'll stunt the growth of the wheat. Their behavior and conversation and their thoughts will be centered in the world and not on Christ. They are a threat to the wheat. Why? Because they will draw needed nourishment away from the wheat. If you plant two plants really close to each other, one is going to maybe get the upper hand on the other. And while one is supposed to be a good plant, it's supposed to be receiving good things, it's supposed to receive the nourishment and the water and the, the things that the soil gives it, that weed could be stealing and robbing valuable supplies from the wheat. I hope you've never you know, had a friend like this, but some of you may have friends that are people that absolutely drain the life out of you. Now you know what I'm talking about. They're those spiritually high-maintenance people that come to you for everything. And they're always thinking that, oh, man, you know, you're the answer. And, oh, I got to dump all this stuff on you. And I got to vent all this junk on you. And, and all of a sudden, you walk out of that conversation with that individual and that relationship with that person. And all of a sudden, you walk out of there more weary than you went in. And how many of you know we've all got our own baggage that we've got to carry that we need to release to Jesus? And the last thing that we need to do is carry somebody else's bags along with us. Because it will weaken your heart and it will weaken your life to the point to where you won't pray. You won't seek God. You won't open the word because all of a sudden they poured something out on you or they spoke something to you about an individual, about a person. And now all of a sudden you, you feel angry towards that person and you don't want to you know, talk to them because you feel a certain way about them. Listen, church, don't mix yourself with the tares. They will rob you of the things that are necessary for you to serve Jesus. Amen. Matthew 13 and 27, the owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? So where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. He says, the servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered. Because while you're pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. See, there's a question, church, here. There's a question here that, that sticks out to me as to why evil is allowed to continue in the world and why even hypocrites are allowed to continue in the church instead of being, you know, expelled. And that's this. This question, of course, concerns us judging others. The question here is us judging somebody else. And Jesus' answer right here in this parable deserves close attention, church. 
A person in this earth and a person on this planet is to not judge others. Do you know that the Bible calls God a righteous judge and God is a righteous judge? And that is an order of business that not any one of us should participate in. Did you know that? Because if a person rejects Jesus, the Bible says that they already stand condemned. But for you and I as the body of Christ, as people that love Jesus, that know Jesus, that know the forgiveness of God and the mercy and the grace of God upon our life, it is not our place to judge. When we judge, we're acting like God. And guess what? When Satan acted like God, he got expelled out of heaven. It's dangerous ground, church, I'm telling you. It's very dangerous ground that sometimes we mingle with and we get ourselves involved in because guess what? We think that we can do something that God and God alone is only allowed to do. And then we think that we are righteous and we think that we're holy and we think that we're living a life that is pleasing God. Do not judge others, church. It is sometimes hard to distinguish between the wheat and the tares, the righteous and those who profess to be righteous but are not. But here's the deal. If a person judges, they may tear out some of the wheat along with the tares. That means that you may inflict damage on those who were good when you judge somebody that's not. A day of judgment is coming, amen? And guess what? It's not to be executed by men, but it will be executed by Christ at his return. A day of judgment will come. Make no mistake, church. Sometimes we want to, we you know, avenge ourselves from our enemies and people that maybe have said things certain, certain ways about us. And we want to take matters into our own hands. But listen, don't you trust God? If you trust God to save your soul and to, and to take you to be with him forever, then guess what? Trust God to judge those people for their actions. Amen? Trust God to avenge you from your enemies. Trust God to, to give you, you know, favor in all circumstances. Trust him. Do not take matters into your own hands. The only difference between the wheat and the tares is ultimately that place of judgment. That's where there will be a final separation that will separate them once and for all. Jesus will one day establish true righteousness. And after he raptures the true church out of this world, then God will pour out his righteous wrath on the world. And at the end of that tribulation, all unbelievers will be judged for their sin and their unbelief. And they will be removed from the presence of God. But true followers of Jesus Christ, they will reign with him forever. Amen. What a glorious hope we have as wheat. Amen. What a glorious hope. So our mission, church, isn't judgment. It's still sowing. Amen. It is still sowing. While we see wickedness and evil and, and sin running rampant in our world today, and we see lawlessness all around us, it blows my mind how people can just, droves of people can just run into stores and just take stuff. I don't know if we watch the same news, but I see this stuff sometimes, and, and it blows my mind. I'm like, Lord, where is, where is the moral compass of our nation? But I can tell you something, church. We took God out of our government. We took God out of our laws. We took God out of our schools. And dare I say, some have even taken God out of their churches. The righteous judge will come. The righteous judge will come. But while we still have the opportunity 
We need to sow into the lives of people the kingdom of God as a lifeline, as a lifeline of rescue for their souls. We need to sow the kingdom of God wherever we go so that people will still have the opportunity to repent and to come to Jesus. Just allowing the harvest to grow, God will still do the separating. The beauty of the seeds and the wheat is this, church. That is the transforming power of the righteousness of God is that some have started off as sinful weeds. They can still receive the seeds of righteousness to become transformed into the beautiful wheat. Amen? Only God can perform such an act. Christ is still transforming, church, the lost into the found. Amen? I said Christ is still transforming those who are broken and now becoming whole. Amen. We still have a God church that rescues the fatherless and brings them back to the heavenly father. Amen. We still have a God that raises the sick to be fully restored. We still have a God that takes the unrighteousness of people and the unrighteousness in people and makes them righteousness. We still have a God church that transforms weeds into wheat. Amen. So the assignment of the people of God has not changed. We must sow Jesus into this world. As I ask you to stand to your feet tonight. I love this quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson. He said this. He asked, he, he said, what is a weed? He said, it's a plant whose virtues have never been discovered. Dare I say that we've looked at people like they are weeds, they're lost, they're, they're purposeless, they're pointless, they're, they're, they're somebody that doesn't deserve the love of Jesus and we write them off and we think that that's it, they're just gonna be pulled out of the ground, they're gonna be bundled up and they're gonna be burned. And sometimes we just take that place and we, we don't look at the people for who they are and for the way that they've been created by God. I want to remind you tonight, we are all creations of God. Amen? Those inside the house of God and those outside the house of God. They were created by God for a divine purpose, to know the Father, to live for Him, to, to know and reign with Him forever. They were still designed that way. And even though we may see them right now as a weed, we need to trust the seed and the power of the word of God and the gospel that he can still transform their life. Amen. How many of you believe that with me tonight? Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.